Let us declare our hope in God through our unison scripture reading in Psalm 16. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. You'll find it in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans. And we're looking this morning at uh, verse 4, and the question I have for us to frame our time together in God's Word is this, is it possible for anyone to really start again? And uh, this morning we will find that it is. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and as we come to God's Word, let's bow our heads and ask for Jesus' help. Our Lord Jesus, uh, we give you praise this morning for the wonderful um, infant baptisms we've just uh, witnessed. We thank you so much for that, and we pray your blessing upon those families. Uh, We pray also for those who are away on retreat or for students who are away at this time. We pray for your encouragement of uh, that extension of this body here this morning. And we pray now as we come to your word, Father, would you by your Spirit help us to hear you and to be changed by your word according to your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friends, Romans chapter 1, page 939 in the Pew Bibles. And uh, we're looking particularly at verse 4. Let me begin in verse 3 as it sets some of the context. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and now verse 4, our verse this morning, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. When Harry Potter first receives notice that he has been invited to Hogwarts, he cannot quite believe that everything is going to change. He says yes, and uh, the adventure begins. This morning, we are looking at a true change to which we are invited to participate. It may not seem like it at first, but actually this is one of the most tricky verses in the Bible. For instance, the word translated declared is uniquely translated that way here for various reasons we will see. Again, the phrase spirit of holiness, that's a unique way of describing the Holy Spirit, if indeed it does describe the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll need to understand that. And then resurrection from the dead, his resurrection from the dead, actually is more literally by the resurrection of the dead people or dead persons. There's no his, and dead is plural. So there's some unusual elements of this verse. This verse, let me remind us again, these verses at the beginning are like a table of contents. Paul will expand on this theme throughout Romans, and we need to look at each part of it with particular attention because they're indicating a much wider 
panorama that Paul has for us. Let me remind us of that as we come back to Romans again after missions uh, weekend last week. But let me also indicate for us at the start of our time together that this is really going to be worth the effort to understand and for me to explain, for us to enter into. This has significant benefit for the glory of God, and I hope that is our primary desire here at College Church. Not your glory, not my glory, not even the glory of College Church, but the glory of God. And it has a result, because it is for the glory of God, a significant benefit for you. Let me just indicate that. It's going to take a little work to get there, but I want to indicate that it's worth the work. Basically, the end point, the benefit, if you like, is that Paul is explaining the consequences of Jesus' resurrection. That is, Christians are no longer pre-resurrection. We, if we're really following Jesus, are living post-resurrection. And that changes everything. And he indicates this comparison when he says in verse 3, according to the flesh, and then same phrase, according to the spirit of holiness. There's a change No longer according to the flesh, now according to something different, namely the resurrection of the dead. So this is more than simply saying Christ is risen and then repeating He's risen indeed. The resurrection has a real impact on how we live, a connection, a life, a power, a spirit of holiness because of the resurrection of the dead. I'm not explaining all that yet, I'm just indicating that it's going to be worth the effort to understand (laughs) Let me put it like this very simply. We are not really Good Friday people anymore. We're now Easter Sunday people. That's the new reality, and it's time for a change. Time for a change of attitude first. Now, I want to explain then the word declared. So, say it's translated that way here, but that word nowhere else in the Bible, in the New Testament, is translated like that. More normally, it's translated as appointed. And the reason why most translators put it as declared is because they want to guard us against a misunderstanding of this verse. Historically, some people thought that Paul was saying here that Jesus became God uh, when previously he was not God. Well, Paul does not mean that. We know that from elsewhere in the Bible. For instance, he writes to the Colossians, these well-known words, Christ is the image of the invisible God. All things were created by him, through him and for him. Jesus is fully God, but it's translated that way to guard against a possible misinterpretation. Actually, authorities regarding this word indicate that it has in its root sense, in its sort of foundational sense, an idea of a boundary, boundary lines. Paul is indicating that the line has been drawn, a distinction has been made. Look at it like this, Jesus has been demarcated, if you like that designated. The point being made here is not that something has changed in Jesus' essence by the resurrection or His nature, not that, but that at the resurrection Jesus has now been demarcated, declared, appointed, shown, established, marked out as the Son of God in power, the Son of God that He always was, but now declared, appointed. Similar thought is found in Philippians. Paul says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and therefore God is exalted into the highest place. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
So Jesus' resurrection, he is marked out, declared, demarcated, exalted as the Son of God. Now he's raised, exalted, vindicated. Now, of course, this is very much the message that the early followers of Jesus preached. Many people preach different messages in the name of Jesus, but in the New Testament they preached Jesus and the resurrection. And that was the source of their power, Paul's word. Unlike Islam, they did not preach that we must submit to us be conquered militarily. There was no war in the early Christians' preaching. They simply preached Jesus is risen. And so Paul in Acts 17 verse 31 in a very similar kind of language says this to the Athenians there. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Same word as here translated declared. And of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. There's a new day that has arrived, Paul would say. Here's the picture. The picture is of a king who always was king. But the day has come when he's been crowned as king. He's appointed king. He was king before, but at the resurrection he was demarcated, marked out, declared, appointed, shown, exalted. So this then is a change, a time that has changed. We now live post-resurrection. Christ is risen. He has sent his spirit. We live in the post-resurrection age. We do not live on Good Friday. We live on Easter Sunday. Now, of course, Jesus has not certainly not yet returned. We do not yet live in heaven, but we do live in the age of the Spirit. That's the phrase that uh, the Puritan John Owen used to describe our age, the age of the Spirit, the post-resurrection age, the age of the Acts of the Apostles, the age when we preach Jesus is risen. Now you say, well, what does that all mean? What's it like living post-resurrection? What is the difference between Peter before Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost? It's the difference between Saul before he met the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road and after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And you perhaps you say, oh, that's very religious. It doesn't apply to my working life. Perhaps you say, that doesn't happen anymore. I say it happens all the time. <laughs> I'm not talking about the unique element of Paul being appointed an apostle of Christ, of course, to write the New Testament. But I am talking about it being this change that's taking place based on this declaration. And I, we could all share afterwards, couldn't we, exciting stories of people who've become Christians or exciting stories of experiences of people who've come a new, new alive in a new way as followers of Jesus. We could tell those kind of stories. You know them. I know them. But I don't actually need to recount those stories. All we need to do is look around this room. Every single person here who loves Jesus is a miracle of the resurrection as a result of Jesus being declared Son of God. Now, some people say it's because of how you were brought up. Oh, I know a family where two brothers were brought up in very similar ways, one loving Jesus, the other not. It's not upbringing. Perhaps you say it is temperament. Some people are just more religious than others. Not at all. If anything could be less likely than that everyone in this room who loves Jesus has the same temperament, 
If that was the case, we wouldn't need so many pastors. This is as a result of Jesus' declaration, His exaltation as the risen one. Every church is because of the resurrection. The church would not exist without it. So let us this morning recognize that uh, miracle of the resurrection that is each of us here this morning. Let us change our attitude from tragedy to triumph. That is not triumphalism, but the triumph of Jesus. In other words, the best days are ahead. Perhaps you read the newspapers or you look on CNN or you watch Fox News. I don't know whether you're a CNN person or a Fox News person. I mentioned to someone the other day that I went to CNN.com and they looked rather surprised. Like, really? Not Fox? It's like, well, you know, I kind of read around a little bit, you know, and... Um, sometimes you can watch the news and you can become very depressed, can't you, about the future of the world, even the future of the church. I have a more important declaration than anything that happened this week in the Senate. He is appointed the Son of God. And yes, evil will grow. Jesus tells us that, doesn't He? There'll be tares and weeds. They will grow. Evil will grow. But at the same time, God's kingdom will grow too, right up until the end. We have a future because of this triumph. We live not in the past. The best days are not behind the church. They are ahead of the church. Isn't that true? I rather like this person who once said, I heard that uh, a pessimist can hardly wait for the future so that he can look back with regret. Well, we don't need to be like that as Christians. Change of attitude. Second, change of action. Now, under this kind of framework, I'm going to explain some of these phrases that I said to you are really quite tricky and quite difficult, but I want us to do the work because, as I've already indicated, I think you will find it worth doing. It will have a real impact on your daily life this week, I believe. I pray. I've been praying that it will, and I trust it will. So, in power, spirit of holiness, resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Each part of this new reality. First, in power. Let me explain that phrase. What does it mean by in power here? Well, I believe Paul is contrasting the weakness, Jesus veiled in flesh, veiled, hidden in flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, as the hymn puts it. That kind of weakness before the resurrection but now appointed, crowned king by the resurrection. And, of course, we have access to that power as post-resurrection Christians. In fact, Paul says precisely that. Perhaps you know these words from Ephesians 1. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Let me ask you that question. What is the immeasurable greatness of the power of God? He carries on, toward us who believe, the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us who believe. What is it? According to the working of His great might, where? That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. That power 
we have access to. We who believe. That's what Paul says, isn't it? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great power toward us who believe? Now, Jesus, before the resurrection, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, the hymn puts it like that. Now, by the resurrection, appointed, crowned as king. And so Jesus says, doesn't he, in the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority or all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. He had all power beforehand, but now he's been crowned, declared, go therefore and make disciples. Now, I think it's important we realize this power. I've often reflected on Jesus' conversation with the Sadducees and the Gospels who would not believe the resurrection was possible. Jesus uh, engaged with them in the Scriptures and explained how even from Moses you could deduce uh, the resurrection. But then He asked them this question, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, their God was too small. They couldn't understand the resurrection. Even if they saw it in black and white in the Bible, they would have to say it cannot be possible. Well, we need the Scriptures and the power of God. It's a living Word. That's why in Acts it says, with great power, the apostles are giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace is upon them all, with great power. That's the power, this power that is being talked about here, that is now part of this new age, this Word of the cross, not our power. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, there is power in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, I think, is what Paul is saying. What about the spirit of holiness? Well, if uh, in power was a difficult phrase to understand, but with great benefit, the spirit of holiness is even more so. Does Paul mean the Holy Spirit? Well, if so, he's using a phrase about the Holy Spirit that is nowhere else used in the Bible. It could be Hebraism, a way that Hebrews talk, perhaps. Uh, Does Paul mean the spirit of holiness that was in Jesus, as there's a spirit of holiness in God the Father and the Holy Spirit as well? God is spirit, and his worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. Christ, as he was declared to be the Son of God, is resurrection with a weakness according to the flesh, fully God, fully man, but by his resurrection his glory is revealed. So Psalm 16 that we had read out, for you will not abandon my soul or let your Holy One see corruption, your Holy One, the spirit of holiness. And Peter preached that elsewhere as well in uh, the beginning of uh, Acts and saying you, this is about, not about David, about Jesus. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And he preached, Paul preaches the same thing in Acts 13 from Psalm 16. Jesus, whom God raised up, this Holy One, did not see corruption. Or 1 Peter 3, when it talks about Jesus being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The contrast between the weakness of the flesh, veiled in, Godhead, in flesh, the Godhead see, and crowned what took place in the Spirit. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, that is Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Or 1 Timothy 3, 16, Christ was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by or in the spirit. And if that's what Paul is saying, it's all a contrast between, as Paul puts it, according to the flesh and according to the spirit. Or Paul could be more simply saying that after the resurrection, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, 
and that therefore we now live with this resurrection power. So Romans 8, verse 11 to 15, hold with me about this. I think this is really important. Listen to this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if that's the case, He will give life to your mortal bodies, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery back to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, all this intimacy. Now, either way, however you put this together, there is a new reality that has come as a result of Christ's resurrection. It's not only declared, it's in power, and it's not a veiled weakness of flesh, but it is the spirit of holiness in which we are now invited to participate. Now, the third uh, and uh, final phrase here that indicates that it's time for a change of action is that phrase, by his resurrection of the dead, which, as I said, though, is literally by resurrection of dead people. Uh, there's no his in the Greek, and the dead is, uh, is plural, resurrection of the dead. What is Paul saying? Paul was referring to his teaching that Jesus' resurrection was the first resurrection that leads to our resurrection in him. So there's this whole new reality. It's all about this, this new time in which we live. There's this whole new reality that's begun. Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers, and as he has risen, so too we will rise from the dead. We're in him. This new reality, this change that has taken place now. And so he says, Romans 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He is the firstborn. Our resurrection, if we're in Him, by faith in Him, will will inevitably follow. He's the firstborn. We're we're, going to rise too. Or Paul preaches the same in Acts 26, verse 23, that the Christ may suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He became light both to our people and to our Gentiles. This new stage of light, not darkness, light. His resurrection is the first. And if we're in Him, we too will rise. So it's not just Christ has risen, He is risen indeed, important as that is. It's more than that. It impacts our attitude and action. He is the firstborn. We will rise. And then a whole new era, a new stage has been inaugurated, not just talked about, but established, demarcated. So whenever Christ talks of His death, He always talked of His resurrection too. They go together. The cross means the preaching of Christ who lived, who died, and rose again. This is the resurrection of the dead. We live, those who believe in Him, now in the whole new era, a whole new stage when Christ, long prophesied, now arrived, has died, and risen again, exalted, preached, so the gospel is making progress not just all around the world, but right here now today with small groups and satellite services and resale stores and outreach to the community of one kind or another and prison ministries. and Why? Because of a life lived in the power of the resurrection, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, by any means I may, possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead, the power of His resurrection. It's not all happened now, of course. The church is not yet glorified. We're now the church in battle. Um, 
It would be an overrealized eschatology to say that we have that resurrection now. That time has not yet come. But Christ is raised. And he is raised the firstborn among many others. And because of that reality, we do now have a time to change attitude and action. We live with a sense of perspective, meaning, hope that was impossible beforehand. But now is ours if we receive it by faith. God is for us. Nothing can stand against us. Not hell. Not the devil. Not sickness. Now, don't misunderstand me. Certainly followers of Jesus age and die and do get sick. But we will triumph through it as followers of Jesus. Suffering now has purpose and meaning as all for Christ. It doesn't have to be, you know, everything has purpose for Jesus. It's not just the prayer meeting. It's not just if you're a pastor. All for Christ. It's not just if you get cancer on the mission field. It's if you get cancer as a businessman too. It can be for Jesus. Divorce cannot separate you from Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, distress, divorce? Nothing. Why? Because we have this power of the resurrection at work in us who believe that one day we will rise and that now with His authority we make disciples of all nations. We have the power, therefore, to walk across the street and strike up a conversation with an unbeliever. It's a very difficult thing to do. I find it so. But we have this resurrection power. We have the power to do the dishes. That's a very difficult thing to do. Some of us find We have the power to change a diaper. We have the power to read that annoying email after church that you're dreading to open. We have the power to watch a spouse fade mentally before our eyes. We have the power to go through depression. God knows the sheer number of godly men and women who has struggled with depression. Spurgeon, of course, Martin Luther. All this can be redeemed. Why? Because Christ is risen. We will rise. And therefore, whatever the momentary feelings or the struggles that you and I all have, we then live in this new reality. We have His Holy Spirit. And therefore, because of this new reality, it's time for a change of attitude. It's time for a change of action. I like the line from Louisa Tarkington. I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our past mistakes and heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby coat at the door and never put on again. Well, this is the day of beginning again. Boredom, stop. Lust, stop. Greed, stop. Hate, stop. Bitterness, stop. Lies, stop. Why? This reality. This reality. Of course, then he concludes with this most beautiful phrase. Jesus Christ, our Lord. How tender is the way that Paul describes Jesus. He is not Jesus Christ, the Lord. 
He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This personal connection to Jesus, this real Jesus, this risen Jesus through faith in Him now becomes ours. We know Him. We love Him. We have a relationship with Him. He's not merely God. He's not merely the Lord. If you trust Him, He is He's our Lord. Again, this verse 4, the table of contents of Romans is filled out towards the end of Romans 8, where Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It's not in some things, all these things. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Lord. And all this comes about as we recognize, accept, receive the risen Christ, no longer according to the flesh in the sense of veiled, but now unveiled, the glory seen, risen, vindicated, sent His Spirit to be with us, the Spirit of Jesus in us. He is now our Lord, this Christ, fully God and fully man, through whom all was made, became incarnate of a virgin, lived, died, rose again. At his resurrection was declared, appointed, vindicated, revealed, demarcated, established as the Son of God in power by spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The firstborn of many others who will rise too through faith in him. This Jesus, our Lord, from whom nothing can separate us and in whom we have the victory, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the reality that is declared. Can you start again? Perhaps it's been a difficult week. You'll see me afterwards and you'll come up to me and I'll say, how was your week? And you'll look to one side and go, well, it's okay. Perhaps it's been a difficult year. Or five years. And you're saying to yourself, where is Jesus in all of this? And you look at the cross and him suffering and, and you think, I, he identifies with my pain. And that carries you through. That's a wonderful truth. And he is risen. And in him you will rise. And therefore that spirit of holiness, risen by his power, that power, the immeasurable power of his greatness. Just have that phrase percolating like really good coffee in your brain. The immeasurable power of His greatness toward us who believe. So that we can suffer and rejoice. And tell a friend about Jesus. And start again. 
Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, Jesus, I pray that if there are some here this morning who have uh, confessed you as Lord in distance or theory, that the experience this morning of understanding your word, of being in church, of being around other Christians who are a miracle of the resurrection would enable that person this morning to be able to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, I also pray for those of us who followed you for uh, a little longer than that, that we would live with uh, this immeasurable power of his greatness toward us. Would you help us, therefore, to pray this week when faced with difficulties? Would you help us this week to pick up our Bibles again and read them early in the morning, looking for the immeasurable power of your greatness? Would you help us this week to give of our lives to other people? not holding back, thinking we're going to miss out if we don't grasp onto everything because of the immeasurable power of your greatness toward us who believe. Would you help us this week to be a mission church because of the immeasurable power of His greatness, your greatness, toward us who believe. We pray that we will live with that reality, and we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to do so. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.